Today on The Barry Ferris Show, culture shift, we're going to look at minimum wage and whether or not it really helps you succeed. Welcome to Culture Shift, The Barry Ferris Show. We are living in an American culture that has shifted from tolerant to cancel culture, from decent to rude, from optimistic to cynical, and from relatively safe to increasingly violent. But it's not too late. I hope to equip you with a historical framework applied to current events so you can lead and get America back on track for good. Welcome back to the Barry Ferris Show, Culture Shift, where we care about your freedom and your success. In a book called Brave New World by Al Huxley, he asks the question throughout the book effectively, is it better to be free and have a grasp on truth, or is it better to be comfortable and not really all that free? Well, when I was in school and I was required to read that kind of a book, the obvious answer was we want to live free. I mean, no serious student in my generation wanted to trade their freedom for some temporary comfort. When I took my first real job at 14, I was thrilled. Now, up until this time, I had already had some other jobs. I sold things door to door. I mowed some lawns. I had a paper out. But this was the first job where I got paid a W-2 in real life. I mean, paid W-2 wages, so real life paycheck. I was 14. I worked at a Tao Tao Chinese restaurant as the dishwasher. I'd ride my bike uh, back and forth to this really popular restaurant. So my job was to make sure all the dishes were always clean. And, you know, this restaurant seemed to always be busy, and they regularly got this late and evening shift uh, rush. It was uh, why I was almost always the last one to leave after closing. I got paid $4.25 an hour, which is pretty good. I didn't get any tips except from the cooks. Uh, the job was very demanding physically, but at 14, I don't think I really cared or knew. I just worked hard. Now, my Chinese friends, the cooks, always prepared this really delicious meal after I finished all the dishes. They'd kind of tease me <laughs> when I was washing the dishes after they were pretty much cleaning up all of their stuff and then making the meal for me because of how hard I worked. I mean, they kind of really took me in to be part of their team, the cooks. They were like the preeminent, the, that's like the big cheese. They called me the machine. I was 14-year-old skinny kid washing dishes really fast. Now, the owner was a no-nonsense, non-affirming Chinese cowboy personality. <laughs> and I respected him. And I always tried to impress him. Even, even after a really busy night where the cook said I did the job of one and a half or two people, he never gave me more than just a little tinge of a nod of approval. It was a great experience. I was paid a fair wage, and I was paid by the real world. In hindsight... I really got the better end of that deal. The Chinese restaurant got a good deal. They got a reliable, fast, hardworking 14-year-old uh, who would work till crazy hours at night to make sure all the dishes were washed. But I got trained and developed and socialized into the real world. Now, since that time, it's been my observation that the federal government has just continued to expand dramatically. It postures itself as this uh, savior to the low-income worker. Uh, one of these programs is the federal minimum wage. The question on the table for today's discussion is, does the federal minimum wage really actually improve people's lives? Well, let's take a look. 
Now, as a policy issue, it's always been kind of intriguing. Today, there is this push for increased minimum wage by just about everyone in the Capitol in D.C. Republicans are arguing for an increase, but just a more gradual one. Uh, Democrats want a $15 minimum wage everywhere by 2025. Either way, the noise on Capitol Hill is to increase the minimum wage on a national level. So the current minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. There aren't really that many Americans making that little. About half the ones that are are teenagers, many on their first job. In total, it's 1.9% of the total worker population that gets paid hourly. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 16 to 19-year-olds run with the highest unemployment anyway. Like, for example, in the shutdowns last year, the 16 to 19-year-olds were the guys laid off faster than any other age group by a factor of three. Many are in school. Many still live at home. They, they really aren't the primary breadwinners. Um, the money they make is not usually considered essential for living expenses. Sometimes it is, but not always. So way back in 1979, about 13.4% of the workers were at minimum wage. That's a bunch. 13.4% of the hourly workers were at minimum wage. In 2015, that had dropped all the way to 3.3%. But in 2018, it dropped further to 2.1%. And then further in 2019. Why the drop? Well, you could point to, for one, the 28 states in D.C. where the minimum wage is already higher than the federal minimum wage, so those guys don't have a choice. And those states do represent 61% of the nation's working age population. In 12 of those states, the minimum wage rises automatically each year based on cost of living formulas. Uh, but there could, there could be another factor. You know, there was a further drop in those paid minimum wage in 2019 when not much was changing elsewhere down to 1.9%. So why are the numbers improving so well? That is good old-fashioned supply and demand. When I retired um, from washing dishes <laughs> to make a whole lot more money elsewhere, the owner offered to almost double my pay. I was flattered, but with school and soccer, I had a deep, dark secret. I had started taking flying lessons. And so... I wanted to get as much money as I possibly could to pay for those lessons. That dynamic, um, supply of workers and demand for the work, do impact pay. And that is what's happening from 2018 to 2019. I mean, regardless of the minimum wage, workers are able to get more pay. And, and this is happening even in states that haven't increased their minimum wage. The percent of workers uh, being paid minimum wage is going down because the number of employers that are willing to pay more than minimum wage is increasing. A federal mandate to increase pay can be harmful and maybe not even all that helpful. So let's just talk about why. First, this so-called huge problem with minimum wage, according to Capitol Hill, is only applicable to that 1.9% of the workers. Put another way, it really has very little impact on 98.1% of the hourly workers. And keep in mind, the numbers are even better than that because the minimum wage statistics do not include overtime, pay, tips, or commissions. You know, when I was a dishwasher, I was making $4.25 an hour, but I really got paid effectively about 6 bucks an hour. You know how that is? I got tips from the cooks. Not only did they feed me, they gave me some cash. So who are we helping Exactly, with an increase in minimum wage. Mostly young people. 
for example, if you're under 19, 6% of your peers are at minimum wage. But if you're over 25, only 1%, only 1% of that whole population are at minimum wage. Even though the under 25 group only represents 20% of the hourly working population, it makes up 40% of those paid minimum wage. I mean, when you do the math, if you're over 25, you're unlikely to be paid minimum wage. Young women happen to be three times more likely than those young men, those 16 to 19 year olds that are paid minimum wage. That does include some of that babysitting and such, but that's the statistical fact. There was no statistical variation in race. In other words, it's still that 1.9%, whether you're white, Asian, black, or Hispanic workers, um, getting that federal minimum wage um, pay, you're still at that 1.9% level, regardless of race. But if you had more education, regardless of race, that equated to higher hourly pay, even if you're under 25. And if you have a college degree, there was a greater than 99% chance you were paid above minimum wage. If you're married, you had a three times better chance of being paid above minimum wage, even if you're under 25, over and above those guys who are single under 25. Very few of these minimum wage jobs are full-time. In fact, there's a five times greater chance of a part-timer being paid minimum wage than a full-time worker. The majority were employed in food prep and jobs like, guess what? Yes, dishwashers. Those guys in restaurants, that's where the majority are. The highest percentages of workers at minimum wage are found in the states of South Carolina, Louisiana, and Mississippi. Now, if you want to expand the argument to what the Bureau of Labor Statistics defines as near minimum wage, that's fine. That arbitrarily goes up to $10.10 an hour. I don't know how they come up with that, but that's the number. So in this group, we're still looking at younger people with 56% having no more than a high school education. In other words, if you're a young person um, under that 19 age gr group um, and you don't have more than a high school education, that accounts for 56% of that. In 19 states, they're already above $10 an hour. In fact, if you go to DC or California, Washington, Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, Oregon, they've already got a minimum wage above $12 an hour. Is this yet one of those expensive federal solutions that is in search of a problem? I mean, to be fair, I'm gonna give you the argument for the case for increasing the federal minimum wage. Here it is. At the end of the day, the proponents believe in a right to a livable wage. They believe that raising the minimum wage on a regular basis helps that wage earner keep up with price inflation. They believe that forcing companies to pay a person more will often result in that same person spending that money right away. And in their view, that is good because that will have more money sloshing around in the economy. They argue that this will create an amplifier effect, more demand for more goods and services everywhere. They argue that it's better for the small business because if you're forced to pay the worker more, you'll have less employee turnover. And if the business is forced to increase the pay, it will increase tax revenues for the state. That might be the real motivation. Hmm, I don't know. Since there's now a higher wage for the same person. And if the workers earn higher wages, they rely on the government less for the safety net. So there's your case. Now, the case for not increasing the federal minimum wage is that it completely ignores transitional positions. It ignores youth and inexperience. It ignores the individual circumstances. It ignores this huge group of the 90-day temporary positions. Further, employers may lay off employees just to remain solvent when they're being required to pay them more. 
Some employees would make more, but others would have to be let go. Companies will attempt to pass on the cost of increased wages to consumers. These price increases actually make the overall cost of living higher. Businesses may freeze new hires. This limits opportunities for recent college grads and others entering or re-entering the job market. Corporations may outsource more jobs to countries with lower or non-existent minimum wage. And companies will accelerate their automation plans. And that's happening for sure anywhere minimum wage has been raised by the state. And once that's done, those jobs don't ever come back. So what about the working poor? Well. There are a lot of programs currently, federal and local, that provide families with non-cash benefits like uh, food stamps or subsidized housing. They don't work perfectly, but it's already in place. What about the unions? As a general rule, unions demand a $4 premium over minimum wage. That's kind of an interesting thing, but it's called in scale. It's in scale to minimum wage from the union's perspective. So they won't be at the new minimum wage of $15 an hour, but they'll be at $19 an hour. Now, this causes an artificial wage inflation competing with the salaried folks. I mean, that's a, that's a $40,000 um, salary. So the small business gets impacted the most. When you add um, to the pay all the employer obligations, you've got workers' comp, you've got FICA, you've got FUTA, state unemployment. Um, you know, you're adding about 10% to that increase. So if you had a, if you, if you were sitting at something like eight bucks an hour, but it goes up to 14, but really no, now 19, I mean, you're way over a hundred percent increase. And on top of that, you are having to pay all of these employer obligations. Let's say that a bagel shop ekes out a living of $75 per year for the owner. So he makes an, a living, but not that great of a living for all the risk he took. But he just pays himself in profits. So he works 10 hours a day. He, uh, he's open 365 days a year. He'll take a few days off, but not a lot. But his model is heavily dependent on high school kids. He'll pay an average of $7.50 an hour, just above the federal minimum wage in a state that allows that. These kids get a great experience. Uh, the bagel shop, let's say in Mississippi, uh, keeps their bagels reasonably priced. And he makes a living, not a great living, but a living. But when you mandate that he has to pay those same teenagers $15 an hour, the bagel shop has to regroup. He not only pays the increased $7.50 an hour, but he has to pay that additional 75 cents an hour in employer obligations. Now, the way he was doing it originally is he had this staff of 12 and they were all part-time, but that only came up to four full-time equivalents. But now those four full-time equivalents have an increased cost to him of $68,000. And he doesn't feel like he can pass all that cost increase off to his customers. So the store owner now makes almost nothing. So what can the bagel shop do? Well, he, he can make his life much easier by just getting rid of all 12 of those high schoolers and hire four older full-timers, since he's going to have to pay him 15 bucks an hour anyway. So those high schoolers no longer have that opportunity to work. And he can try to increase his pricing, but the market might not bear that unless all the other bagel shops are going to increase their price at the same time. So now let's ratchet this up to slightly different business. Let's go to a full-service car wash. If they're paying people 10 bucks to 15 bucks an hour to work there, what happens when all of a sudden that junior guy who was paid 10 is now being paid 15, as much as the senior guy who was already earning 15 bucks an hour, but that was a three-year process of promotions and hard work to get to that 15 bucks. That's called artificial wage inflation, and you're messing up that guy's business model. 
So only three things can happen to this poor guy that owns this full service car wash. He can increase the cost of a car wash, but he's competing with those more automated ones down the street and the market might not pay up. He could reduce the number of employees with maybe just the most energetic ones. He can kind of run them through a test and find the, the most um, highly skilled, the most energetic, the guys that kind of do the job of one and a half persons, and he can eliminate the rest of his employees. Or he can reduce the employees through increased automation. He can just go ahead and pull the trigger and pay the price to have a more automated full-service car wash. And if he does that, those jobs are never coming back. So who wins with a minimum wage increase? The big companies. They do. They can bear the brunt. They already have expensive artificial intelligence in the works. It provides them a barrier to entry from that small guy who wants to maybe add a personal touch. Government wins. They get higher wages, um, and they're taxing at a higher taxing people at higher wages, taxing fewer people potentially at higher wages. But they they win in the short term, at least on a revenue per person basis. And what about this livable wage argument? I mean, is that is that really going to make? Does that really make sense? So l let's just step back with one component of it. If you're in San Francisco and you're making fifteen dollars an hour. And the average cost of a house is one and a half million dollars. And you're living in Greenville, Mississippi, and the average cost of that same home is $86,000. Is that fair? A federal mandate doesn't make sense. I mean, variations in geography are real, very real. At a minimum, government should allow each state to figure it out. The, the Fed increase will be a boon to the less expensive places in the short term at the expense of the more expensive cities. Might not be a bad idea for them, short term, but it, it's not gonna help long term. What it's gonna do in those places though is reduce jobs everywhere. Because when a business has to pay more than the business model allows for it to do, it's gonna hurt. According to the CBO, 17 million workers make less than $15 an hour. And this includes the personal care aides, the cashiers, the janitors, laborers, freight stock and material movers, nursing assistants, retail sales clerks, security guards, landscaping folks, groundskeepers, and a whole bunch more. Now, these are valid, important jobs, but they're between that $10 and $15 rate. And in many instances, they're employed because it's more economical to pay a human than it is to invest in artificial intelligence. But to artificially increase... Uh, the market rate for that job is going to cause some people to go ahead and pull that trigger on artificial intelligence sooner. And that's not going to help. I want, I want to give you just a real-time example. It just happened a few weeks ago, just in January in Long Beach, California. And it's a famous store called Kroger. And they own stores in the Long Beach area called Ralph's and Food for Less. So Kroger announced um, that they are going to be closing 25% of their stores in Long Beach. And this is after a city council um, passed an ordinance requiring companies with over 300 employees nationwide to pay employees an extra four bucks an hour. So, so what happens when the city council intervenes in this arbitrary way? Well, it actually hurts everyone. Here's what Kroger said. As a result of the city of Long Beach's decision to pass an ordinance mandating extra pay for the grocery workers, we have made the difficult decision to permanently close long-term struggling store locations in Long Beach. 
This misguided action by the Long Beach City Council oversteps the traditional bargaining process and applies to some but not all grocery workers in the city. According to Kroger, the, the Ralph store and the Food for Less stores that are closing are going to have to close in April. The city council voted unanimously for this wage increase. Aren't they smart? So what happened? Well, the public loses. The, the company spokesperson for Kroger says that Long Beach City Council's mandate doesn't do anything to raise wages for the frontline workers that the city itself employs. The, the, the irreparable harm goes to their employees and the local citizens as a direct result of them having to close those stores. And the city itself was the one that picked the winners and the losers. They say that's deeply unfortunate. Their spokesperson goes on to say, we're truly saddened that our associates and customers will ultimately be, ultimately be the real victims of city council's action. It's not like Kroger's this heartless company. They invested, they invested a total of $1.3 billion to both reward associates and to implement dozens of safety measures. In addition to providing several rewards to all the frontline grocery, supply chain, manufacturing, pharmacy, and, and call center associates, the organization has invested to support uh, associates through additional benefits like emergency leave. And all that was extra pay in addition to their comp pay package they already had. So they no longer get paid because those employees are gonna be gone. And so they no longer get a pension because those employees are gonna be gone. So the day after the city council passed this ordinance, the California Grocers Association said, look, we're gonna have to sue you. They claim that uh, uh, the, the hazard pay decree is invalid and unconstitutional. They allege that the ordinance is illegal because it singles out some grocers and it ignores other grocers. And it violates the constitutional requirement that similarly situated people should be treated alike. They argue that the ordinance is preempted by the National Labor Relations Act and they're not even obeying their collective bargaining process. So what's the freedom principle here? Well, you can't just single out certain grocers and ignore others, and you can't interfere with collective bargaining, and, and, and the, the government can't just decide to arbitrarily intervene like this because it so desires to make sure everyone gets this living wage. Here's what happens. Once you fully phase in minimum wage increases, you reduce total employment. Over time, the reduced employment results from workers losing their jobs and some workers unable to find a job and, and AI increasing. These job losses come from business closures, like we just heard about with Kroger, some consolidation. Some workers might be discouraged and, re, and, and their, their job employments will be reduced. They might exit the labor force entirely. Once you fully phase in minimum wage hikes, you reduce teen employment. More than one in six between the ages of 16 and 19 are unemployed already. A large number of teen workers save their earnings to fund some of their higher education costs. And, and some of them save it to, to buy a car. But regardless, they get education, they get training, and those jobs are the ones that get lost. A reduction in employment opportunity for teens leads to higher student debt burden for them when they finally do end up going to college. The proposed minimum wage increases would reduce wage and salary incomes. The reduced incomes result from reduced employment and increased underemployment. Reduced employment and smaller incomes resulting from a steep increase in the minimum wage are likely to increase poverty. True. 
An increase in the minimum wage will really benefit the unemployed, and it worsens employment opportunities. It contributes to worsening poverty rates. It's especially in those areas that already have high rates of unemployment and poverty. There's going to be some employees that will benefit from a higher minimum wage, but most of these income benefits would be offset by reduced employment and increased underemployment. And, and who really gets hurt the most? The young and the low-skilled workers. Workers currently having the most difficulty finding a job already will have a worse chance if there's a large increase in minimum wage going into effect. The bottom line, the federal government just doesn't have a very good track record of dictating wage rates to businesses. Some might glean a false sense of comfort from the promise of a living wage, yet we, we really can't violate the laws of supply and demand. I mean, in the long term, a free and competitive marketplace just does a better job. And if you're a true believer in just this government-driven mandate, then at least let each state make the decision. At least it's somewhat localized. And like what just happened up in Long Beach, at least the closer it is to the people, they can have some immediate accountability. At the end of the day, for the vast majority of permanent full-time jobs, businesses pay much more than minimum wage. And the best thing you can do is just get the skills, develop the character, have the work habits where minimum wage is far below what you command in the marketplace. To your success and to your freedom. God bless you. Hi, I'm David Farah. Thank you for listening to my dad's podcast, The Barry Farah Show. Culture Shift. Click subscribe now to be sure you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your friends on social media and give The Barry Ferris Show your five-star rating. Check out today's show notes below this episode and at theberryferrisshow.com. This podcast is also available in video format at The Barry Ferris Show on YouTube. See you next time.